and welcome to Snakes and Ladders, a podcast about our time in the workplace, career ups and downs, and the tips and tricks we've picked up along the way. You're hosted today by myself, Peter Conroy, and you, Julian Armstrong. What's up, my brother? Hey, mate. How you doing? Well, well I uh, still have a cold. I don't think any of our guests have heard me speak without a cold, so sorry about that. But I'm not apologizing today for being late, so for the first time ever, I was early. But yeah, uh, I was tell late everyone today. what happened, yeah. I was late today. <laughs> I'm going to blame the trains. Okay. Um, the very reliable TFL service in yeah. London. But anyway, on, on today's show, career mapping or more broadly, life mapping, and how your career can tie into that. And later, we take a look at some of Britain's most successful people and their career trajectories. But first, the Shrek to my donkey, Mr. Julian Armstrong. How was your week? Mate, it was a fucking big week. Uh, it's the first... Uh, I went to Paris on, on last weekend. For, oh, how was that? For a 40th. And yep. then uh, it was kind of my first week back at work. So, yeah, shock to the system. Yep. Um, but yeah, Paris was great. Yeah, nice. It was freezing. Was it cold? Okay, yeah, kind of been yeah. as cold as it was here. No, it was we cold. always talk about how cold it is because we're soft cock Australians. Yeah, but it was very, it was actually very cold, um, but a lot of fun. Yeah, how about you, man? How was your week? Yeah, it was a good week. I um, same for you. Just kind of trying to find my feet again after the summer break or winter break or whatever you want to call it. We went back to Australia for Christmas mm-hmm. for a ten day, very quick trip just to, you know. Come straight back. Took the mother-in-law. We did. We took my mother-in-law, which was good. So she had a lovely time. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was too quick to go that far. Yeah. But like we went via China on the way there and Hanoi uh, in Vietnam on the way back. Um, and yeah, it's the last time I'm ever flying economy ever. <laughs> okay. Can't do it. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I just don't enough. fit in the seats. Like. Yeah. Well, you and your husband next to each other. He's bigger than me, <laughs> and on the way there. No, it was on the way, the first leg back. He was like, can we sit together? And I was like, sure. And then on the second leg, I was like, absolutely not. Can you imagine if you were like the th- three, you know, in a, in a row of three and the poor person between? On the, on the on the last leg back, my partner's mum, she was perched between us and she's tiny. So thank God for that. <laughs> God for that. And we got like three rows in the middle. So imagine we had a, if you had like a big bopper in between you. I could just imagine, like imagine the two of us like walking down the aisle and you see us approach your well, row. The just, air hostesses would just be hovered around your row. Yeah. They'd be just like, like, yeah. So. Do you need another sandwich? <laughs> so sometimes because I get like just a little sidebar, I get, I'm gluten free. Yeah. So just a little trick for Lots anyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyone who wants to get their meal early on a plane, order a special meal because they bring it out first. But this special meal sucks, mate. I've I disagree. It tastes like cardboard. I disagree. So I will say props to, if you want to sponsor us Vietnam Airlines, props to them. <laughs> Some of the best economy food I've ever had on an airplane. You want to sponsor us gluten-free bread? Yeah, yeah. exactly. But like, honestly, they were, they were so good. Mm. Um, China Eastern, leave some to be desired. Um, they didn't know what gluten was. Surprises there. <laughs> I was like, I have a gluten-free meal. And she's like, beef or chicken? And I was like, uh, gluten-free. And she was like, beef or chicken? <laughs> so she didn't know what was going on. But on the way back, yeah, Vietnam were amazing. <laughs> and yeah, if you want your special meal, like they bring it out first. So you get to eat. And then sometimes, sometimes they don't realize you've had a special meal if you've eaten it fast enough. <laughs> and so like on a couple of times on flights, like they'll give me a second meal. And then obviously my partner will just inhale that. Well, we're going down a rabbit hole here. But one final thing on, on a related note, um, I went to a show in Paris um, for my friend's wife um, her birthday nice and um, my friend had to stay and look after the daughter 
but she'd paid for the show and dinner afterwards. So we threw an extra coat on his seat and had <laughs> <laughs> pretended he was in the bathroom. It was a like, good meal. Like it was yeah, worth yeah, getting it was really, there. Really good meal. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, he's just fries. in the bathroom. He'll have uh, he'll have he'll this have the, entree, yeah. this main, and this dessert <laughs> each time. <laughs> so yeah, he's got the runs. <laughs> My God, free meal anyway. Nice. All right, let's get cool. stuck into it. Awesome. So, getting stuck into today, where do you see yourself in 10 years? It's a popular question in most interviews, but how the hell do you even begin to answer that question? I think most of us have goals and aspirations, but how do we tie this into our day-to-day? Well, for me, I think if you don't know sort of where you're going, um, you don't know the steps on the way. Where's that old adage of like, if you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. If you don't know where you're going, you don't know where you've come from. Yeah, that sort of stuff. I think um, a lot of people get caught up in the... um, in the kind of overwhelmingness, if that's even a word, yep, of, we'll go with it. Yeah, of um, trying to look forward for the next ten years, and and I I can completely understand that. I think one of the things I want to discuss today is that you do you do need to have a long term goal, but you don't need to be sort of wedded to it. So things change. People have families and life events, and you know your priorities and where you want to be can be completely different in a couple of years time. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't set uh, career trajectory and career goals. Doesn't matter that it changes because you you know your path will naturally change. But if you don't have a goal, you don't work out the short steps to getting there. So interestingly, we had like a big powwow about planning out the rest of this season, and so I've had a bit of time to think about like this particular topic. And something I think really is really interesting is like I don't th- I think the best we are ever at doing this is when we're kids. Yeah, if you think about. When you like most people get overwhelmed by the idea of how to get somewhere. Yeah. But the first step is to work out like where you want to be. Yeah, yeah. And I think if you just said to someone, What job do you want to be doing in ten years? They'd be like, I don't fucking know. But I think it's a much easier question to answer is like where, what do you want to be doing with your life in yeah. 10 years that's super interesting man like you're right when we're kids we all we're like, like I, I want to be, be a doctor. an athlete or yeah. a fireman or like whatever yeah. you know um and i think as you get older there's this thing that i don't understand um which is the imposter syndrome yeah um which we're going to talk about separately yeah <laughs> he's, gig- he's giggling because it's my life <laughs> i am the imposter <laughs> you're giggling because every time we talk about this i'm like what the fuck is that and you're like, I'm like, take a, a seat, young man. It's a thing. <laughs> it's a thing. But, but um, yeah, when we're kids, it doesn't really exist. We've got dreams and goals and aspirations, and they're attainable. Um, so why does that stop? I guess is the que- is one of the questions. Well, I think like the funny thing as well is like my parents are now teetering towards retirement age, and I think they, I think that's again where you start to think about like, what do I want to be doing with my life? There's this whole chunk in the middle where it's this really complicated, messy, like detailed kind of yeah. like overwhelming thing to overcome to just get through life. You know, yeah. you've got to pay bills, you've got to have kids, you've got to do all this other shit. And suddenly these fantastical aspirations feel that just that, like a yeah. bit of a dream. Yeah. But ultimately like, w- like where does that dream die? Yeah. And I think like that's the way you should be thinking about like where you want to be. Like I was talking to a friend about this last night. One of my 
and goals. I used to, when I lived in Sydney, I knew this woman. She owned an apartment in the Horizon building in Darlinghurst. Mm -hmm. And she also owned a house in the south of France in Nice. Mm. And she would literally like, she'd be like, hmm. It's a bit cold today, and she'd grab her passport and her like her her purse, and she'd go to the airport, and she'd <laughs> okay. fly to her house in Nice, yeah. and then she'd be there. Bitch. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but like, in my head, I was like, "That's amazing!" Yeah. And a whole bunch of decisions I've made in the last sort of like 12, 18 months have pivoted around. I want to do that. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? And so when people say, "Where do you see yourself in ten years?" I don't say, "Oh, I'm going to be." the you know head of learning and development of whatever.com yeah. yeah. i'm going to be living three months four months of the year in australia yeah. and eight months of the year in the uk and i'm going to have a role that allows me to globe be tra like work globally and work remotely yeah. yeah you know what i mean and so then you can work backwards yeah. from there i don't yeah. care what job i'm going to be doing as long as it's satisfying it's challenging and ultimately it allows to service the life and that's how i think you should career map no, I agree with you, but I, I personally have not done it that way. And I think there's a there's a leaf I can take out of your book from that perspective um, to prioritize kind of uh, lifestyle. Yeah, lifestyle. Um, I've gone the other way and said, like, I'm going to be fulfilled only if I'm professionally in this space. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, I, I love leading people. I um, love setting strategy. It's not going to really serve me for too much longer in my career to work for somebody. Yep. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be a, an entrepreneur. It means that what I'm really saying is that I should rise to the position of a CEO within an organization, um, potentially. Yep. Um, so, and I think with that, depends on what, what kind of um, environment you work in, that, that comes with its own sort of potential in, in where you work and whatever. Because I think that naturally... I really buy into remote working as a as a thing. Um, there's been a hell of a lot of uh, discussions in the news more recently about forcing people to return to work. Nah, it's not going to happen. Well, there's been a lot of discussions about how it's going to be a problem. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be a huge problem culturally. Yeah. I think, like, you've touched on something really good there that I want to kind of flag. So, like, in kind of saying what you want to be doing, you haven't said, I want to be doing a particular role. You've identified what elements of that role you enjoy. And I think yeah. that's the trick as well. Yeah. There's so many people say, I want to be doing this job. Yeah. And I think the question you need to ask yourself is, what is it about that job that it actually appeals to you? Why, yeah. why that job? Yeah. So people are like, I want to be head of whatever. Is yeah. it about power? Do you want authority? And it's if always, you like, yeah, it's always about power. It's always <laughs> about power. <laughs> no, but it is like, but at the end of the day, because what does what does power mean mean to you, and what does authority equal? And to most people, I'd say security, or freedom, or yeah. whatever it is. And I think like the question that needs to be asked is, if you have an aspiration in mind, what is driving that aspiration? And yeah. then, I think you can be way more sort of like poignant about the, the choices you make yeah. and the decisions you. Do, like you know follow to drive yourself forward yeah for sure for me it's definitely not about power it's it's that like uh, for the past sort of what seven eight nine years i've been one row below like board seat um and i've struggled with the lack of strategy above me or you know lack of leadership and that sort of stuff and i think those frustrations will come to a head at one point where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sort of sick of having the same challenges. I want to be in the box seat where I can actually tackle this in a better way. Yeah. So that's my personal perspective. But I think coming back to the intro, we said, you know, um, where do you see yourself in 10 years? 
I think we both agree. Um, it'd be interesting to hear our our listeners' perspectives. But ten years is too long. Yeah, right? I agree. It is. It is far too long in today's age. Where were you say, ten years ago? Yeah, exactly. Long. We've come a long way in ten years. But I also think, like generationally, um, people are moving jobs far more quickly um, and more frequently now. Yeah. But in our parents' generation, a 10-year question probably would have been suitable. I'll probably still be here. Maybe I'll be a couple of levels higher. Yeah, so it would have been suitable in our parents' generation, but now it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. So to ask someone what you know where they want to be in 10 years, I think is, you know, it's, it's not... It's a bit it's, futile. Yeah, it's a nice well, question, but it, I just don't think it's really relevant. But what we really need to dive into is where do you want to be in five years or where do you want to be in one year? Yeah, well, just on that, before we take a break, where were you 10 years ago? Ten years ago, okay. Um, I had just what I'd been in the construction industry for a couple of years, um, and wasn't necessarily fully committed to it because I was trying to tackle professional sport only a few years before that. But you had a business, didn't you as well? <clears throat> so yeah, before that, I I had a, a business. I was still running a business, like a um, sort of fitness and training business uh, on the side, earning a bit more cash. Yeah, um, clothing business too. No, that was earlier. Yeah, but... um, Back in your youth. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When I was a dreamer. Yeah. Um, But I think at that point, yeah, I was was starting to realize that I needed to be like seriously pursuing a corporate career. Um, What about you 10 years ago? Mate, you were like five. (laughs) (laughs) I was not five. I was 23. Thank you. I had just finished university. Yeah. uh, And I'd moved to the other side of the country and was very quickly realizing that I had pursued a degree in a field that I didn't like. Yeah. So I was coming to terms with that, trying to make it work. But I think yeah. by 23, I was like, yeah, this is not it. Yeah. I think that's, I was, that, I, I, I think I quit my job not long after that to go and further my education just to open a few more doors. Yeah. And I think if you asked me like 10 years ago, like, would you, where would you be? I'm going to be in London. Definitely wouldn't have. Working in learning development either, yeah. wouldn't have, wouldn't have dawned on me in the slightest. I mean, at the time I was definitely ambitious, but I think um, I was... <laughs> I just turned 28 and had a um a bit of a mental breakdown about the fact that I wasn't in my mid or early 20s anymore. Oh, really? Did that hit you? Yeah. Uh, I didn't. I think I got I got that at 29. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, let's take a break. All right, mate. Let's take a break. So, welcome back. Thanks, mate. Um, knowing your short and long-term aspirations. Uh. So we, we've just discussed the fact that we think 10 years is too long. But for me, the sweet spots are sort of one and five years. Yep. I think uh, we're, we're going to talk in the future about uh, how, you know, having the attitude of trying to move or, or develop um, or get, get a promotion, more specifically, every sort of 12, 18 months. Um, and having the kind of m- this sort of mental state, mental um, approach around that. That doesn't necessarily always happen, by the way. So, like, me personally, I've had a fairly rapid career trajectory, but I've not changed roles every 18 months. Mm. Um, there's been one role where I was in it for five years, but I have generally... That's the one we met. Yeah, yeah. So, but I have generally um, been able to sort of progress every kind of... Mine's like two to three. One to two years. Yeah. Um, but it, there, there's no sort of right or wrong answer. But I think um, it's kind of a loose analogy, but I want to use it anyway. Maybe you can come up with a better one. But I think, um, you know, in, in certain sports like golf, right? Like if you're hitting a drive, you don't, you don't aim for the tee. Golf. Yeah. 
Bowling. Okay. <laughs> ten, ten pin bowling. Right. Like if you're aiming for the pins, you don't like, you don't look down the, the laneway and aim for the pins. Like they've got these Some little arrows. <laughs> That's where you get it in the fucking gutter. That's why I always get in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> so they've got these little arrows on the floor in front of you and, yeah. and they've got the, pretty much lining out the yeah. pins. And the idea behind that is you aim short, yeah. right? You aim for a, a small target in front of you, and if you get it on that line, it's probably going to hit where you where you'd aimed. Yeah, that is the same as your career. Yeah, your like short term goals should be aligned to where you want to be in a longer term. Yeah, and there's a there's some complexity around that which we want to discuss. Um, but there is going to be a deeper episode around skills mapping. But there's some com- complexity around how you make sure that your short term goals align to your long term plans. Yeah. So basically, if, we, if we've got like a 12-month plan or, or an 18-month plan, how does that service your five-year plan? Yeah. Um, so if I want to be uh, leading a large team in five years, in the ne- and, and I'm just a, an employee at the moment, I don't have a team at all, what are the skills that I need to develop um, either now or in, into my next role that will then open up the opportunity for me to manage people? Yeah. That's the sort of discussion and that's the sort of consideration we need to have. So, you know, if we just take that as an example, I've never managed people before uh, and businesses get this wrong all the time. Like, uh, particularly in our industry, people will not manage anyone for probably 40% of their career, 50% of their career. And you get thrust into a team of six. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, within a year, you're managing six, eight people. Yeah. And you're like, fuck. Like, unless you've managed... Um, unless you've sort of worked in teams like sporting teams before or unless your own manager has been a phenomenal manager, most companies don't invest any time or money in teaching you how to manage people or giving you that exposure. And I think that's a big mistake. I think the other thing, and I don't know if um, your company has sort of done this, but like we have management training, skills training, but it's all very theoretical. Yeah, absolutely. It's so like, it's very like, I'm going to go further that and say, mate, it is bullshit. Yeah. Like, because, I, like I, if you don't sit in front of someone, if you, if you don't get that kind of emotional attachment like to read, yeah, to like, and the exposure to an individual, you cannot be prepared for the difficult discussions. I think the other thing is like, I noticed that the manager training that I undertook very much spoke about like essentially getting the best out of people, mm. getting the most out of people work wise. Yeah. It wasn't about like, how do you have a good relationship with someone? How yeah, do you, how do you geared. earn trust? How do you, cause yeah. to me like that, feels second nature and i but i imagine there are so many people where that's absolutely not yeah so like uh, the the training management we're we're sort of just um talking specifically about management here in terms of a career trajectory but management training is naturally geared towards the benefit of the business Business, not the individual yeah so they're like yeah how do you get the most out of people for the business identify what kind of person they are Are they a driver are they a analyst are they a this and then cater to their needs by giving them the kind of work that means that they'll be most satisfied yeah that doesn't help you deal with someone whose dog passed away or who needs to take their mum to hospital and how you manage their work-life balance none of it helps understand boundaries or like communication pathways and stuff in a natural sense it's all just like you know here are the objectives how do you get people to do it sort of stuff so like pulling that back to as you said i think most skills that you develop in order to continue moving forward are on the job skills as you said you can do all the training under the sun that doesn't prepare you for what it means to actually do the work yeah and and i keep saying this but we're gonna have another episode on (laughs) on uh, education and we're both quite like keen to talk about further education how it plays a role in in your career but back back to sort of this topic 
it is critical. Uh, I've spoken to so many people. I mentor a lot of people. Um, and I've spoken to so many people. And the first thing I ask them is like, you know, w- what's your next step? Oh, well, you know, my next step is naturally this role. Okay, cool. Why? Because oh, that's, you know, that's what I want to be. Okay, but what, what does that serve in terms of where you want to be in the long term? Most people don't know where they want to be in the long term. They just know what the next step is. It's funny you say that because that's something I learned from you. So both of my staff, when they started working for me, like within the first couple of weeks of sitting down, I said, what is your dream job? Yeah. What did you fantasize about doing? When you chose your university degree that you studied, Yeah. why and where did you want it to take you? Yeah. And both of them kind of like, Ugh. and I was like, no, well, you had, there had to be, you didn't just take this. You didn't pick this degree because mm. you thought it sounded cool. Like you must have pictured something. And even if you don't have a specific, like, I want to work at Nike, Mm. you know, if there was something you wanted to do, Mm. okay, let's have a talk about it. Why do you want to do it? What interests you about it? Okay, let's work backwards from there. Let's say that you could have your dream job one day. What skills do you, like, that you would require in that job are you able to pick up in this job? Yeah, work backwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you're you're looking for a job um, in the market, it's the exact same experience. So you go through the job description on LinkedIn or whatever and you're like, okay, I can do that. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. You should be doing that yeah. for your long-term career aspirations. Yeah. You shouldn't just be looking up the role that you're suitable for. You should be looking up the role that you want to be in in yeah. five years. I think we've talked about this, but like, and that's like men versus women. Yeah. You know, like this is a very typical male thing to say, oh, I can do that. I can give that a go. And I'm, yeah, yeah. Know, Whereas women will only go for roles that, you know, yeah, 100% can but do. what I'm saying is like, you know, you shouldn't just be looking at um, roles when you're looking for a job. Yeah. You should be looking for roles like just as part of your pastime and saying, okay, I want to be the CEO of Disney, right? For yeah. example, how like what would the CEO of Disney be doing? Um, and I'm not going to be the CEO of Disney in the next two years, but that's my dream job. So what, what, like, what would the CEO's roles and responsibilities be and how do I become proficient in those areas? One of the things that I do, which is probably pretty confronting but I, I've done it every single time I've ever gone into a job is when I sit down or when I've been promoted I sit down with my boss and say you know thanks so much for the promotion what's next yeah right like I've literally been in the job for about five minutes and I'm having the conversation saying okay but uh, you know I'm in this job now really thankful here are my objectives these are things I'm going to achieve but by the way you know it's not immediate because that is very confronting but like, what is this serving in terms of my career trajectory following this role? Well, even like putting it on them, like, where do you see me? Because like, I think that in itself, I, I, I think most most of us think that there's like some kind of weird betrayal yeah. if you're kind of like talking about what's next already. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, businesses kind of like hypnotize us into this false narrative of like, you know, they're doing us a favor. Yeah, They're yeah, not yeah. doing us a you fucking favor. You should be thankful you've got a job. Absolutely yeah, not. Like... They, you know, they're getting out of you utility. You need to get out of them equal parts utility. Like at the yeah. end of the day, most people will kind of acquire skills through osmosis by default. And that's kind of, that's how we kind of end up sort of defaulting into the career tra- paths and trajectories that we do. Yeah, yeah. You can have real cognizance about that. You yeah. know what I mean? And so like, I think your mental approach when it comes to this and these conversations and this thought process around your growth as an individual definitely is that this opportunity is as transactional for you as it is for the business. It's a really good point, man. Yeah. I think when people start to stand, like sit back and say, okay, how can it be quite like targeted and mathematical about this? It becomes a lot easier. So having conversations with your boss when you've just been promoted about how you get to the next stage shouldn't be confronting if you phrase it in the right way because it's okay. You, 
it's like saying, okay, hey boss, you obviously think I'm um, ready to perform this role. I'm really appreciative. How, you know, what, what's the next step look like? And I'm not saying I want to be, you know, promoted again Tomorrow. now, yeah. um, but it's important for me to gauge, you know, where this is, is also um, going in terms of my career progression so that I can be driven and motivated and understand the skills that I need to develop in order to progress because progression is a really big and important factor as part of what drives me every day. Bang, bang. That's not a a confrontational discussion. I don't think anyone can get upset about that. It just means that you're ambitious. And as we said before, if someone tells you you're ambitious and that's a bad thing, they can fuck off. Also, onto that point, this conversation, if this incites any kind of weird discomfort or, you know, you don't get kind of the bite back that you want from the conversation big red flag massive red flag and that's that's a really good opportunity as part of your planning is to say okay it's become very clear to me i have limited development options in this space because Mm. i've said to my boss i want to start thinking about what's next and your boss goes oh well you know just do your job now and then we'll talk about things in future red flag flag. and that's where you say okay cool uh this is going to have limited options for me i'm going to take what i can yeah. I'm going to take what I can. Yeah. And I had this conversation with both my staff. I mean, I've encouraged them to think about this, knowing also that they don't have a lot of runway in their own trajectories at this business. But I've said there are a bunch of skills and training potentially. So like, you know, yeah. the opportunities to upskill through learning how to use certain software or learning mm-hmm. programs or whatever. Take what you can and mm-hmm. go. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there was a guy that we worked with. Uh, he was a project director. Um, little guy, lovely guy. Uh, and I, I was talking to him about career frameworks um, when, I, when back when we worked together in my previous business. And he said, you know, like, it's so crazy people sort of think that everyone's got the same kind of career trajectory, but they, d- they don't. Like, he was a project director, but he had a completely different background to everyone else. And he said the way that he thinks about it is that on a daily basis, you pick up, uh, like, you've got a tool bag, like, you know, a, a, a bag of tools, and, and you use those to, to do certain tasks. And as you're going along, you pick up new tools and you, you let go of others because you've got different tasks to perform. It's as simple as that, like uh, understanding the tools that you need to progress you at the time and you drop off the other ones. Yeah. Um, but I had a really interesting conversation with, uh, with my boss not that long ago and I said, look, you know, where do you see me in the business? Mm. Uh, and they gave me the classic, well, where do you see yourself? You know, oh, this pfft. is your career. Um, y- you know, it, it's really up to you to shape it in whatever way you want. Guys, that is a trick, yeah. right? Because yeah. that's like saying you play for a football team uh, and every football player in the team gets to choose how they play. Yeah, It doesn't work like that. No. Unless you own the fucking team, it, it's not up to you how your career works. So like someone saying to me, yeah, you know, you can you can come up with whatever career trajectory you want to come up with is bullshit because I don't own the company. But that shows also just like a deep lack of interest in you and your abilities as a person. Exactly. But it sounds really nice. Oh, yeah. You can shape it. Let's have a discussion. Your future is yours to shape. Exactly. It sounds really nice on a a face level, like on surface level. You know, it means that they don't really understand um, how to shape your career with you. And that's not necessarily their fault because, as we've said just before, certain people get thrust into management positions and they don't know what the hell they're doing or they've never been supported or developed. But basically, they're saying... You can come up with your career trajectory um, and let's have a discussion about whether that's a feasible thing. But like, okay, if I went back to them and said, cool, I want to be CEO in two years. They'd be like, oh, yeah. all right, calm down, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's not my football team. So yeah. the idea that I can come in and say, well, this is where I want to be, it, 
I can say it all up all I want, but it's not going to be facilitated. I'm going to get frustrated. Excuse me. I'm going to leave. Um, and so basically what needs to happen is that there needs to be some sort of discussion about what is feasible within the organization. Um, I think that's, that's something I'm coming up against at the moment is I like at the end of the day, like I shouldn't have to proactively demonstrate what my aspirations are based on my skill set. Like at the end of the day, obviously the final decision of what I do, do with my life and my job is mine. However, if you have a, a, a boss that's properly engaged with you and genuinely interested in what you can do and how they how you can contribute because at the end of the day we're all contributing it's like a ship we're all doing a, a bit to get the ship to continue to go yeah you know if you're just standing in the corner you know doing something surely surely the captain of the ship should know what everyone on this boat can do yeah and I'd, how they can make the boat go faster and better and and I, I personally think in my experience I think there are just less captains these days I think there are just more people who run the ship and then suddenly find themselves at the at the fucking helm of the wheel. Yeah. You know, Jesus Christ, I'm I'm driving the ship and they're not captains, do you know what I mean? Like there there are large organizations where people kind of fall into positions um because of, you know, people leaving and whatever. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of sad if you think about cuz like all the high performance business needs is some a little bit of intellect and genuine like giving a shit. Yeah. And I feel and like strategy and strategy, yeah. but yeah. like the end of the day, you only need one strategist, Yeah. but you need everyone else to know that that person is the strategist. You know, yeah. everyone has a role to play, mm. but that's kind of what we're talking about is like, people just need to care enough. Like yeah. as a boss, I take an interest in what my staff can do Yeah. and where I think they need to work on. And like, you know, we've talked about this as like being a good manager is, you know, if you really care about your staff you'll want to give them the best opportunity in, in their work life. Yeah, definitely. And that, that's kind of the end of it. If I, if I was a, a graduate and I came to you and we were having this discussion and I said, look, you know, Pete, in five years I want to be the CEO, you can't laugh me down. Yeah. Like if you do, you're an absolute shit dickhead. bloke. Yeah. It, you should sort of say, okay, well, let's sort of, let's analyze what you would need to develop in five years to be a CEO. Yeah. Is that a realistic expectation you can develop those skills in five years? Well, some of them are just impossible. Like, it, yeah. you know, in terms of being able to do what's required of a city, you, you just need to have seen some shit. You yeah, know what potentially. I mean? yeah. But that doesn't mean that you've not developed the skills. You've just yeah. not had the experience. Yeah. I, I've, I've, had, um, I've had graduates where their behavioral skills are phenomenal. Yeah. Like their communication, their emotional awareness and intelligence like from a graduate, like Jesus, this person is like they've got the foundations emotionally to be incredibly strong leaders. Yep. They've just not seen the shit, you know. They've not had the experience. That so it might mean that they need to go through some stuff before they're job ready. But in the short term, they're still developing the skills. But what I'm saying is, like as a manager, if someone comes to you and says, "I want to do, I want to be here in five years," like the respect is to not say, "Well, you know, on surface value, what you're saying is is stupid." It, the respect that you give them is to say, okay, let's talk about what that means in reality. These are the boxes you need to tick. Mm. In a five-year period, are there too many boxes? You know, And that, that's how you should treat it yourself, I think, in, in your own career trajectory in terms of tempering the amount or the, the time for development and in reality. But, you know, like... Um, well, okay, you, so you before... Can jump, you can jump businesses and, and accelerate some of those uh, opportunities as well. Well, before we take a break, like what have been some pivotal... Pivotal, that's not a word. Pivotal moments in your career or opportunities that you've seized? I think like in terms of gaining a specific position. Or a uh, skill. 
required for a position? I I think the the biggest key is having someone who recognize like someone above you that's making the decision who recognizes you don't need to be perfect to be in the role in the first place. Mm. Right? Like so the first role that I got as sort of like national um corporate role, I was like twenty seven, twenty eight, had no experience in that field whatsoever. Um, but I, I put down like I applied for this role, I put down a strategy, I did some some research and uh, went through the interview process and they took a bit of a punt, right? There were other people who were more qualified. Um, they're like, look, you know, let, let's give, give this person a go and have, have a bit of a punt. Sometimes it's about someone recognizing, okay, you've got the fundamentals, but you don't have all of it. Let's give you a go. And I think that's where I've had some really phenomenal jumps in my career. So do you think that the thing that was part of it was the investment you made in mentorship? Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, cool. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll come back. All right, welcome back. So we just talked about, um, you know, essentially mapping out a five-year plan and how you make decisions today that will allow you to kind of move in directions tomorrow. And so what I wanted to touch on is like, what are some of the things you can do that aren't specifically related to your role? So we have our role. Within that, we have our remit. If you have a good boss, they'll create opportunities for you. Let's yep. say you don't have a good boss. What are some of the things you can do? So we mentioned just before the break, you applied for a role. And one of the things that really influenced your ability to go into that role was the fact that you had made a mentor yeah. in a good place. Or an advocate an or advocate. someone that was just going into bat for you. Exactly. Incredibly important, I think, throughout your career. And I, th I think situations where I've jumped from businesses where I've I've come to the conclusion that I no longer have those advocates or the advocates just don't have the, the kind of Power. ability to open further doors for yep. me. Yep. It's not a bad thing. Yep. So still stay in contact with all the people who've, who've helped me. But, um, just being aware of what's around you. Yeah, being being aware because like unfortunately, I mean for the, for the first half of my career, I naively thought if I'm fucking good at what I do, It'll I will just, just progress. Yeah, no. doesn't happen. No. And my mum used to say to me, you know, you need to play the game. Mm -hmm. And I hated that because yep. I was like, oh, that's such a girl thing to say. Like girls play games, uh, you know, like it's all bitchy and whatever. Men are just as bad. Well, yeah. yeah. Like that's the way the world goes around. Basically you need to. But I think the thing is right just on that. So sorry to interrupt, but like we talk about playing the game and I think like at face value, if you say you're playing the game, oh, that means like being manipulative, blah, 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 yeah. politics, da, da, da. Really, the game is whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And there's many ways to play the game. So yeah. having a mentor isn't manipulative. No. It's knowing the right person. Definitely. I think another thing, something I've done, which has helped me in previous roles, is I'm part of the LGBTQ alliance. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a really good way to, like, increase your network and get yeah. your face out there. Yeah. And, you know, put your face to, you know, something that really speaks well for you, like creating a program, you know, the fastest way, I tell you the fastest way to meet the, the managing director of a business is to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Because on, you know, it's pride, when it's pride month and you have a pride event and you and six other people have organized, you know, whatever. And this is obviously whatever your lane is. So, yeah. you know, if, if you want to do an extracurricular thing after school or whatever after school, you know, you know, you feed the homeless or whatever. Many, many workplaces have many different programs, but you have your, for me, we had pride month. We do our pride thing. The managing director pops down and says, hi, and you meet yeah. the managing director. Yeah, you definitely. Know? 
or the head of your department or whatever. Yeah, it's just being smart. Um, again, sorry to say this again, but we 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 don't have a separate episode on on mentors and advocates. But I think it, it it's a critical um it's a critical piece of your career to have people who are in another room that you're not in. Yeah, talking talking you up. Um, saying like, oh yeah, I met him. He's a really lovely bloke. He did a really good job with that. You know that event that they hosted. Yeah, he's worked with someone else that's in my team. They speak really highly of him. Or even just like you've put your name in 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 the ring for a new role, and they're like, yeah, give him a shot. Yeah, I think perfect example is my last role was you know on the departure of our old boss. Mm. Basically, um, you know it had been mentioned that there was a need in the business to do something. And I had no problem saying to him, like, that's something I'm interested in doing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when the conversation was brought up in the in the boardroom, he yeah. was like, actually, I've got someone who's mentioned that they'd be interested in doing it. They've yeah. got they've got some background in this, and I think that they've demonstrated to me that they've got some skills and rah, rah, rah. And that's yeah. how it happened. And it's crazy how um, people's careers are literally determined on those conversations. It would be nice to think that that's not how it works, and it would be nice to think that, you know, you you – tick the boxes of being the the best player in the room or that, you know, you've got these skills and whatever. And hopefully that's how a large proportion of it happens. But um, a very significant amount of it is based on relationships and, and how you build them. I think though, you can look at it like that and say like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if everything was meritocratous? But like, is that a word? Yeah. Lots of made up words today. <laughs> but, you know, also knowing this, Run with it. Yeah. It's actually not hard to say hi to someone in a lift. You said something to me last night. We were chatting about this, about yeah. like every interaction is important, yeah. which was a piece of advice given to you by someone we used to work with. Yeah. And ultimately, it's true. It's not hard to say hi to someone. It's not hard to, you know, the amount of like we have Friday drinks at work every Friday. Yeah. It's not hard. You know, I remember like when our old boss left, yeah. I spent like a good 45 minutes just chatting to the managing director because yeah. he just so happened to be in my vicinity. Yeah. And I know that can be pretty overwhelming for some people who are introverted or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you have the ability to say hi, yeah, you know, definitely it makes a huge difference. So the other thing I think that's really important to recognize as well is that that companies will naturally put, uh, career frameworks in front of you. Some of them do, do this better than others. Uh, and from a multitude of motivations, right? So some companies will put career frameworks in front of you to control your growth, uh, to govern your growth, uh, like public companies um, also give the illusion of growth. Give the illusion of growth. So public companies, like or, or even institutions, like if you're if you're a school teacher, you know there's bands and grades and all that sort of stuff, and you need to have gone through certain years or levels of experience or taught certain levels within the schooling system to be able to get that sort of recognition. They put these things in front of you um, for control and and for, I guess, equity, which is a good thing, um, but there is no reason why you have to stick to those kind of frameworks. And yep. it can be really difficult for people to see that. Uh, it can be a bit uncomfortable. There's there's um, frameworks that we're going to introduce that we've used in our careers that meant that we've skipped them, we've jumped around them, we've blasted through them. Yep. And I think it, when it comes to setting your one or five-year career path, naturally your one-year goal will probably be within the framework that they give you. Unless you choose, okay, well, unless you do what we're t- talking about, which is skills map and go, okay, well, for example, I uh, I want to be a lawyer, okay? What are the skills that I've got right now that are transferable to being a lawyer right now in the next year? And if that's feasible and I can skip, 
you know, you know, swimming lanes, um, great. If I want to be a judge in the next five years, you know, what are the, what are the different things, you know, um, that I need to do from, from that path. But so unless you're sort of skipping around your natural next step in your head is probably the one that the company is giving to you. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're limited to that. I think there's also like, if you look at the way that they map out careers, is I don't think that career mapping genuinely reflects your level of experience and expertise. Mm. What it does, it benefits the business so that your, say your progression, after five years, you have X, Y, Z skills. Yeah. But the, if you're following in the footsteps of the way the business has mapped it out, yeah. they're probably only paying you or giving you the authority or positioning of someone who's maybe got two or three years worth of skills yeah, yeah. because you've got several people either ahead of you or it is cost effective. That's yeah. why like when you go, usually when you go to another business, you can kind of jump into where you're actually supposed to be paid. Well, 100% because in reality, when you're finding an open role in the market, it's because there's a demand for that role. One of the challenges in companies is, okay, if, if we're going to, if we, if someone's pushing the door for a partnership, but there aren't any spaces open for a partnership, they might be fully, com- you know, um, capable and then they're overqualified and have all, for have their all the role. skills. Yeah. But the role's just not available right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a difficult conversation to have. To say, look, you're ready, but we just don't have the opening right now. Yeah. Please be patient. And I personally think that that's a better conversation to have than to bullshit people and go, you're just oh, not ready. You need, yeah. yeah, you need to actually yeah. do a little bit more of that and a little bit more of this. And then they get frustrated and go, well, this is fucking rubbish. I've already got that. Yeah. And then they find a role in the market. So I think companies get that wrong a lot. Yeah. And I've had to have that conversation with people. Um, well, it, it's, through, it's gaslighting through, in a way. Definitely. I think, like, for example, you know, you know, a business says like, well, we're not going to promote you into this role because we don't think there could be a myriad of reasons. Yeah. They say we're not going to promote you into that role because we don't think you'd be a good fit for that team or we don't yeah. think that that particular manager doesn't think that you'll be a good fit for them. Or mate, the fucking clincher here is because you're, you're more valuable to us. Where you are now. Where you are now. Yeah. And that I've seen that a lot and no one really wants to talk about it. Yeah. But also like as soon as someone says that to me, I'm out. No one will ever say it to you though, yeah. mate. No one will ever say Well, why would they? Because I'd be, I'd be out in three seconds. Exactly, but yeah. they will make up reasons and yeah. say, you know, uh, we we understand you want to be in this next position, but what you really need to do is, you know, forge a few more years in that role and blah 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 blah. Yeah. But what they're really potentially thinking is, you are far more valuable where you are to us than you know where you could be wanting to get to. Yeah. So we've mapped out for the rest of the season. We'll be talking about this more in depth, but ultimately within progression, there's really three routes. Mm. So you want to run us through what those are. Yeah, there's, uh, we're going to, we're going to sort of define these in, in a, one of our next episodes, but there's linear progression, which is, you know, the Stop career, standard, career up, framework up that's the been set. Well, there's a career framework that either has or hasn't been set in the company that you're in, which is just, you know, you're in this role for five years and you're in the next role for five years, whatever, just up, up the, up the ladder, as you said. Then there's sort of jumping laterally, um, and it takes balls to do this because and it, patience, yeah, and patience because it could be that you, you know, you're you're in this linear progression, and then you realise, well, actually, if I take a sideways step, I'll move faster. I'm going to move faster, or if I take a sideways step, maybe even a backward step slightly, but in a different swimming lane, I'm going to move faster or move, you well, that's, know, that's more what quickly I did. to where you're going to get to. Yeah, yeah, so I moved from manufacturing to construction and yeah. took a huge pay cut. Yeah, and you know, yeah, it served you, yeah. And then the other one, uh, which is one that we have both used to our advantage a lot, but it is tricky, is random progression, where you carve out 
a um, you f- you see a hole, you see like an opportunity, you see an, a um, a need, uh, and shape that. It takes a lot more gumption though, because one thing about linear progression is that you are easily transplantable business to business, role to role, because. Yeah. There's usually a name for that role. It's pretty common. You can go to another company and be like, I do this job. And they go, great. We have a heap of those. In you yeah. go, in yeah. your slot. And it's kind of easily yeah. transferable. Yeah. Same with lateral progression. If you're in a, a career stream, yeah. it's very easy to kind of take that elsewhere. Yeah. When you do what we do, it's really hard because you're not selling a role that you do. You're selling a skill set. Yeah, you're skilling a demand. Sorry, skilling. You're, skilling you're, sell- a s- you're selling a demand or or selling that you will solve a, s- a specific problem, problem. And, th- and that problem needs to be a commercially significant problem for them to back you. Yeah, and you've got like a deadline behind it to to prove a return on investment. So it is ballsy. Yeah, but I think um, I definitely want to dive into that and in, 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 like the definitions in our next episodes. But I think the the key to this point that we're making at the moment is that. In your one and five year goals, you don't just need to stick to what they're telling you. So, your next position doesn't just have to be the the natural progression. The one that they tell you it is. Yeah, yeah. I think, and also, like, key takeaway is like one and five year goals is like having your eye on the prize, but also keeping your eye on everything around you. A hundred percent. So you know, again, it's very easy to get caught up in the mundane. Go to work, do the job, do the thing fulfill your tasks, close your projects out, you know, oh, another year's gone by. Yeah. And suddenly you've hadn't, hadn't had a real good think about like, well, what have I learned this year? Yeah. You know, we, I, I hate yearly reviews. They're such a faff mm. because they follow this really like awkward kind of like protocol of like talking about what you've achieved. Yeah. What you should be talking about in terms of achievement is like, what have I, what have I developed in myself this year? Yeah. What can I do today that I couldn't do a year ago? Yeah. And then that should be a conversation you should be having not only with your manager but with yourself. Yeah, definitely. What, what have I learned and how is this pushing me in the direction I ultimately want to go? If you've got a good manager too, like these discussions shouldn't be happening once a year. It should be happening constantly. So like when I'm having my year, what I'm doing at the moment with my staff, the yearly review, they're almost a little bit like of a waste of time because yeah. I'm just sitting there going, well, we've talked about Same this. Same as last week. <laughs> yeah, we've, yeah. We've talked about this regularly, you know. And if if they were doing a shit job, like I, they would know yeah. already. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like my, one of, yeah one of my key takeaways for today is a five year goal is key um, because if you don't know where you're going, you don't know the path to get there, right? Like, yeah. and that path needs to be considered um, and strategic. You know, the the steps that you're taking to get to that five year goal, uh, you should be as you've said before. Uh, you were saying earlier you can be really quite um, tactical about it. Yep. The one-year goal uh, is key on that five-year path because it's kind of the, the natural next step. But if you're being sold what that natural next step is through a career framework or um, through the discussions with your boss, you know this is your natural next step, don't necessarily take that at face value. There are many different ways to getting to your five-year goal. And in our next episodes, we're going to talk about you know, in detail, those definitions that we were just talking about in terms of progression types, how you can leverage those to um, to rapidly scale and, and transition your career. And I think this is really um, interesting discussion that we're kind of opening up in detail. Yep, completely agree. Cool. All right, man. Nice. Thanks, buddy. Speak to you later. Cheers. All right, so we mentioned earlier we're going to start looking at um, 
some of Britain's most successful uh, career people and their trajectories. I've actually added just preface up <laughs> half of them are British, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but you know. Uh, so I want to start with Tony Blair. So where do you think he was? Uh, this is not a quiz, but I thought just out of interest, how much do you know? Where do you think he was age 20? <laughs> how much do I know? How much what do you know about Tony how Blair? How thick are you about most of the things we need about to know about? British politics because we are not British. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like he probably had a similar kind of um, upbringing to like Tony Abbott. He's probably like a Rhodes Scholar kind of guy, very well educated. He was very well educated. So yeah. uh, he went to Oxford University. Yeah. So... Interestingly enough, we talked about the different kinds of um, trajectories. Some of these are going to be a little bit all over the place and some of them are going to be, I mean, they all show a clear trajectory, but there's definitely some adversity overcome. So age 20, Oxford University, joins the Labour Party not long after leaving university. Age 25, he was a junior member of the Labour Party. So he joined pretty much straight away. So he'd been, been with the Labour Party for a few years. At age 30, he ran for a safe seat for Hackney Council. So I got I just got to stop you there. It is very clear from this um, these immediate decisions that yeah. he knows exact, what he wants to do. exactly where he wants 100%, to be. A hundred percent. Yeah. So he and and like I know particularly with politics, it's all about sort of like making a name for yourself, but also yeah. getting into positions that allow you to yeah. make a name for yourself. Yeah. So first decision, first strategic decision was running for a safe seat yeah. in Hackney Council. He actually lost. So he lost that, but he made a name for himself um, in just the way he carried himself and he made some strong advocates high in the party. So after that failed, um, he was a front bencher and a member in the shadow cabinet cabinet. So basically he was given the opportunity when they did a reshuffle of the drawing of the boundaries, they created a new constituency called Sedgefield Uh and because he'd made friends in the right places, he was parachuted straight into that position cool. and became a shadow member. After that, um, there was an election in 91. He became the shadow home secretary. And essentially what happened with the Labour Party at that time is there were two main factions. One of the factions kind of like popped off and became Liberal Democrats. And he happened to be the leader of the main faction that was the remaining entity that is today's Labour Party. And so because he was the leader of that faction, it was a natural progression for him to then be put forward as the leader of the opposition. And then he won his election in 1993. <laughs> also, no one fact-checked me here. Like this is all <laughs> yeah. high level, but yeah. it's to, to demonstrate a point. But as you said, there's a man here who, and I think most politicians do this. Well, I think like, you know, D- Donald Trump got into politics after being successful in, you know, the corporate world. Successful and, quotation marks. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. like Malcolm Turnbull in Australia, who was Australia's prime minister. Same deal. Same deal. So Joe some, Hockey as part of the... Yeah, so there's, yeah. Some, there's some Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's people who are now not choosing politics to begin with and getting into it after they made a name for themselves. But a lot of politicians are like, <coughs> fresh out of uni, I'm going to be a politician. Yeah, for sure. All right, next one is uh, Richard Branson, Mm -hmm. beloved entrepreneur, British entrepreneur. So age 20. uh, So I don't think Richard Branson went to college. I think he started, I can't see that that's on his page, but Mm -hmm. age 20 owns a record store. Okay. Age 25, that record store has become a record label and he signs some of the biggest names in the UK as well as some international acts like Paula Abdul. Wow. Um, Age 30, what do you think he did next? 
<laughs> Richard Branson's like a like one of those like oddly shaped bouncy balls that just goes in whatever direction. So from a record label, he Water started or Holiday Packages, uh, yeah, which right, is yeah. you know a quite a lucrative market in the UK. Yeah, age thirty five, he'd gone from Holiday Packages to Telecoms. Yeah, from Telecoms, he went to Transport, so Virgin Rail, Virgin Atlantic, um, and then with the success of that he started Virgin Galactic mm-hmm. space travel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have they actually sent anything to space? I can't remember. Don't think so. Maybe, possibly. Don't know. And then yeah, ventured out into further overseas entities. So Virgin Australia, as we both know, very mm-hmm. familiar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and there's a decent you know, amount of points with them for a while. Very much so. Yeah. So there's a good example again. Someone who I mean, entrepreneurs are are notorious for doing the opportunity-seeking route we talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, that's actually a really good point. So it, what they're really doing is seeing uh, demand and shaping that out. And I yeah. think, you know, we, we we discussed the concept of intrapreneurs, which is, which is how we have chosen to shape some of our career jumps. Um, but you can see similarities here. What they're really doing in developing a business is seeing a market opportunity. What we were saying earlier is one of the routes is to see a market opportunity within your business. So it's really interesting. Yep. Okay. So but for him, I would see him as someone like he's obviously decided early on to be a business owner, like an entrepreneur. He wants to run his own record label. Um, that doesn't mean that he his decisions didn't change. Like he was like, I want to run uh, run a record label, but I want to run an airline. I want to run an, you know a, a train company. I want to run a um, a holiday package business. Like his his career has not been set in stone just to like grow a record label. You know, yeah, it's changed over time, which is completely fine. All right, next one is a bit of a like a left hand turn. So Martin Luther King. So where do you think he started? Where was he age twenty? University, maybe? He was at seminary school to be studying as a pastor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So age 20, he was at seminary school. Age 25, he was a pastor at a Baptist church. Mm-hmm. By age 30, he'd written a book. Right. And age 30 was around the time he survived a knife attack. And right. that was when he sort of really supercharged his um, advocate advocacy. Yeah. Um, by 35, he was very famous. Yeah. And he didn't make it to 40. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that everyone needs to survive a knife attack to get promoted. Yeah. But um, I think, interestingly, as part of that, uh, you can see the impact he's had, obviously, on, on global society. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone knows that, that famous speech. Yeah. But um, his skills were probably um, shaped in, in the seminary. Mm-hmm. You know, public speaking... Um, having a theme, having a message as part of that, that public speaking and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, there's transferable skills when it comes to like politics and all that sort of stuff. Yep. That's super interesting. And then our last one, also from the United States, and this is one you've pointed out to me, which I think is super interesting. Carl Douglas McMillan, for those who don't know, and he is the current CEO of Walmart. Yep. So at age, he's, he started his first role with Walmart as a teenager. Mm-hmm. But his first like proper role with them while he was studying, he worked in the warehouses yep. in Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. Uh, once he finished, he, he studied and got his bachelor's degree at the University of Arkansas. And then he went and studied to get an MBA from the University of Tulsa. And he 
moved to their headquarters to work as an executive at their headquarters. He then decided he wanted to go and do a sidestep. This is we talk about sidestep. So he decided to move to um, a the their headquarters to do the buy training program, right. which is basically um, Walmart buy stock to resell. Yep. And so they have a whole program on how to teach how to do that. Okay. And then he decided he wanted to go back and work in a store. Okay. So he worked in a store as a buyer, so fishing tackle. And then he worked as a buyer and a merchandiser in food, clothes, crafts, and furnishings. So after he'd done the training at headquarters, went back to being a buyer at a store. Yeah. He then worked as the general manager of merch, uh, sorry, general, general merchandise manager for their wholesale division called Sam's Club. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he took another executive role at Walmart overseeing toys and electronics and sporting goods. Yeah. He was then a few years later, so I think he's now 40. He was promoted to the CEO of Sam's Club, which is a division of Walmart. Yeah. And that was in 2005. So yeah, he's about 40. Yeah. And then under that, he eventually was moved to be the CEO of Walmart International mm-hmm. in 2009. Wow. Yeah. So this guy's famous for like climbing that ladder, climbing the ladder, right? So he started pretty much on the distribution floor, as far as I know, like on a forklift yeah. when he was a teenager. Yeah. He's been at the same company for like 50 years, 40 years. Yeah. So he's basically worked there since 1989. Yeah. 1984. 80, yeah. So like 40 years. Good Yeah. Um, I don't think that that is something that many people would do these days. Yep. So, you know, it's, um, I'm not necessarily saying that that's what people should do in terms of their career choices, but, um, from a CEO perspective, my understanding is he is phenomenally well respected within the organization cause he knows everything about it. Yeah. Well, he it, made a point of kind of understanding every facet of the every business. Every facet, every nut and bolt. Um, but he's, you know, within within an organization, he's linear, linearly progressed. Yeah, he's he's sort of gone up the the traditional route. Then he's moved sideways. Um, he's gathered skills along the way, but you know, he's made a, de- a conscious decision to stay within an organization. Yeah, hundred percent. Super interesting. Nice. Thanks, yeah. mate. Well, that's all we have time for today. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, don't forget to like and subscribe. Feel free to leave us a comment, and we would love to hear from you. Also, if you want to get in contact with some questions please feel free to reach out at uh, to email us on uh, at snakes and sorry I'm nearly messed this we up always again. do this snakes <laughs> n ladders uh, at sorry snakes n ladders podcast <laughs> at gmail.com that's <laughs> snakes n letter n ladders podcast at gmail.com <laughs> <laughs> all Thank right you. thanks man Cheers, speak to you next week bye, bye.